Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, John Brereton. Our scripture reading for today is found in Revelation 3, verse 20. If you've got your Bibles handy or your devices or whatever you've got. Revelation 3, verse 20. And it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him or her and dine with him or her and he or her with me. Just before I start, I got, someone's asked, could I share this story? I shared this story um, a number of years back, but it was, wasn't recorded or something. But uh, some of you have heard the story, some haven't. And um, here we go. Uh, we worked in Asia for a long while, my wife and I, and we worked in, in, on this island called Borneo. And um, if you go to Sabah, it's, it's one of the 13 Malaysian states. Sabah is one of the 13 Malaysian states. And if you go to the capital of Sabah, it's called Kuta Kinabalu. That's the capital. Kuta means village, and Kinabalu is the mountain, it's the highest mountain in Southeast Asia. And um, if you go to the city, it's flat as a tack, except for this little knob of ground in the middle. Who's heard this story before? Well, just a few. Well, th this little knob of ground is in the middle of the city, and on that knob of ground is this building. It used to be a Seventh-day Adventist church. It was a church and also the mission office for the Seventh-day Adventist in, in Sabah. And, um, but the Muslim government, the Malaysian government, the Muslims, they, the Muslims, they said, this, there shouldn't be a Christian church on the highest bit of land in the capital city. It should be a mosque. So they kicked the Adventists out and put, made it a mosque. But they had one major problem. In that steeple, it, ha it had uh, SDA written there. But this, the, what, this was in glass, glass, glass bricks built into the steeple. So they, 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 they thought, what we'll do is we'll put a sign over this, over this SDA. So they put this sign over it, and the next morning they come in, and the sign had fallen off and slipped down this hill. So they employed a guy to actually bolt it up, and he got a big, big ladder in, in bolting this sign up, and unfortunately he fell down and, and broke his neck and died. So they think, well, they started to think, the Muslims are starting to think, well, there's something wrong with this church, you know, something wrong with it. So then they employed a guy to paint it, they thought, well, paint over it, and see where those dribbles are going on the, the D there. He, when he got to there, he was struck by lightning. So they thought, oh, wow, what's going on here? So then they grew palm trees in front of it. And when I was there the next time, the palm tree in front of the SDA died. <laughs> <laughs> and the last, when I was there just a couple of years ago, they painted very carefully grey around the SDA to try and hide it. <laughs> and I guess there's a lot, of, you make up about a thousand sermons out of this. You know, we shouldn't hide our SDA and all this type of stuff. But this is God's church. And when I was there this last time, I, I've been inside lots of times. I went inside... And they, they, they said, we're thinking about giving it back. We don't want it anymore. Oh, I tell you, this is God's church. And he loves his church, doesn't he? He loves all, all of us, every one of us. The, my sermon today, I've called it Four Texts. And it's very simple. When I was uh, first come to know the Lord, if you like, I was, I'd been a druggie for 10 years. And then when I first come to know the Lord, I had Bible studies with a pastor. My wife and I studied together. I was 28, my wife was 26. And we studied um, with Pastor Frank Braden. And he said, John, he said, I want you to learn four Bible texts. 
And I said, sure, I'll try. So he gave me these four Bible texts, wrote them down, and I spent weeks <laughs> trying to memorize these Bible texts. And I finally got them in. The first one is Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Let's just say a prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your incredible love for us. Thank you, Lord, that there's nothing we can do to stop your love. And there's nothing we can do to make it even greater. You love us so much, Lord, each one of us. No, how, no matter how bad we are in your sight, you love us immensely. And we thank you, Jesus. Be, be, be with us and bless us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For all have sinned. How many have sinned? Every one of us. When I read that, I'm thinking, because I used to think I was the baddest person under the sun. Does anyone think they're the baddest person? Well, I'm the worst under the sun. If you think you're the worst, I think I'm the worst. But God loves every one of us. There's not one of us on this planet that Jesus didn't die for. When I thought of that, I thought, of all the wicked people and, and people, you know, Ted Bundy. Anyone remember Ted Bundy? A serial killer. He killed 38 women. He worked at a university in, in America and he used to, but he, somehow he could put a fake cast on and he used to stalk a girl and, and, he, and he had this cast with these books and he'd pretend he'd drop in the books to, as he was unlocking a car. And 38 women he, he killed on his deathbed, if, if you like, because he was, he was executed by electrocution. The night before he was executed, Everyone wanted to interview Ted Bundy. Only one person he would allow in to interview him. And his name was who, Mike? James Dobson. James Dobson, he allowed. So James Dobson went in with a film crew and he interviewed Ted Bundy. And Ted Bundy had given his heart to Jesus. And he said, oh, look, I'm so sorry. Forgive me for all the things I've done. I deserve to die. And he gave his heart to Jesus. And as, as Dobson's interviewing Ted Bundy, the lights are flickering on and off. And the camera crew said, we, we can't get a good shot. And Ted Bundy says, they're testing the electric chair for me tomorrow. Ted Bundy, on his deathbed, gave his heart to Jesus. You want to know something? Ted Bundy will be in heaven, not because of what he did or didn't do. That's irrelevant. It's because of what Jesus did. That's what it's all about, what Jesus did. We all have sinned. Not one of us can stand up the front here and say, I am worthy to go to heaven. I can't. Not one of us. In fact, if any one of us to stand up here and, and our secret sins were put on the, on the wall there like when Jesus wrote in the dust, we'd all run out of here, embarrassed. Nothing of us got anything to, to glorify ourselves or to give us an entry into heaven. Not one of us. None of us. Even the best, even the pastor. I'm not saying that about you, but any pastor. It doesn't make any difference. None of us have got anything that we, 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 we haven't earned salvation. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Let me illustrate with a story. If you go to Papua New Guinea up in the highlands, um, there's a literature evangelist, and this is her there. Her name's Lisa, and she told me this story. She, uh, she's a solo mum. Husband left her, and, um, and she makes an income from selling books, Christian books door to door. And she was going from door to door in a village, and she finished that village, and she was walking to the next village when a rascal, up in Papua New Guinea they call naughty boys rascals, and a rascal jumped out of the bush with a great big bush knife and put it to her neck and said, give me a bag. She had this shoulder bag on it with books and money in it that she'd sold books in the previous village. And she had this bag, and the rascal said, give me a bag. So she gave him the bag. He jumped over a fence into a paddock and ran off. As he jumped over the fence, she cried out in a loud voice, Lord, make him stop and bring my bag back. I need my bag to sell books. I, I've got to feed my children with the money. Make him come back. Did God hear that prayer? Absolutely. In that paddock was a whole bunch of cows eating their grass, all their heads down. When she said that prayer, all the cows stopped and looked up with their heads like this, the whole lot of them, about 15 of them. 
And they looked at this guy, and they started walking towards him in a semicircle, <laughs> and they pushed him back to the fence. <laughs> he, he was terrified. Now he got over the fence and went back to this young lady, Lisa, and he held his head down and gave the bag back like this. And he said, sorry, I didn't know your husband was in the paddock. <laughs> she said, I haven't got a husband. She said, that was my guardian angel. She said, you're a naughty boy. Why did you want to take my money? He said, because I'm hungry. So she pulled out 10, 10 kina and gave him the 10 kina. She prayed with him and said, look, we're all naughty, but God loves us. And gave him a book called Steps to Christ. That guy walked off a changed person. Amazing, eh? Just absolutely amazing. But all have sinned. No matter who you are, no matter what person on this planet, we all need a saviour. There's no plan B. It's either Jesus or, or not Jesus. And with, with Jesus, we go to heaven. Without Jesus, we pay for our own sins. It's, just, it's that simple. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That was my first text. The second text Pastor Braden gave me to, uh, to memorise was uh, Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death. We earn death by our sin, if you like. But the good news is, but the gift of God, it's a free gift. Isn't it incredible? There's nothing you can do to earn it. Let me illustrate with a story. Going back to Borneo, I've run a number of evangelistic programs over there. Now, I'm not a trained person. I'm just a rascal that God loves, that's all. But I had the opportunity to run some evangelistic programs, and there's some simple ones in non-entered areas in both Sabah and Sarawak. And um, this one's in Sarawak. Most people go to Borneo to see the, the gorillas. Or Has anyone ever seen that flower before or heard of the Raphalasia flower? The largest flower in the world. It's a metre across. And you don't have to look for it. It stinks like rotting flesh because it's a carnivore. <laughs> it puts out this putrid, fleshy smell and small rodents and, and, and bugs that could go into it to get this meat and they become the, the dinner of the plant. Incredible. And people come from all over the world to take pictures of this flower that's only out for a short period of time that's in Borneo. And uh, of course, all of Borneo, even though there's three countries there, Indonesia, Malaysia and, and Brunei, it's all Muslim. Well, they're either Muslim or they have native people there. This is, um, this is a bit IU man. And you can see by the tattoo on his neck, he's a chief. He's a chief, so he's a, he's a, he's a bit IU chief. And, I, and a lot of people there live in their longhouses. And um, a longhouse is just a whole bunch of houses joined together under one roof. Um, I want to take you to this longhouse. That there, that's the communal veranda. And this is a house coming off it. That communal veranda runs all the way the length, and these houses come off it. And um, if you go back to that other longhouse, you can see there, oh, sorry, you see it's got about 10 doors. So they say, how, how big is your longhouse? 10 doors. That means there's 10 homes there. Are you with me still? They're, they're all homes going off. This is a cumulative, they're all homes going back off the, off the veranda. Well, this, this one had 176 homes of it, so it's a massive, that, that veranda, I don't know how long it was, I'm not trying to exaggerate, but you couldn't, the other end of it was about that big little tiny square the other end, maybe two or three or even 400 metres long or something. And we were going there to invite these people to come to the evangelistic program. And there was no Christians there in the, in the place, and we just sort of cold knocking on longhouses, who wants to come to the program? So we, when you go to the front door, you take your boots off there and, and walk in. 
And you always ask for the chief. Every longhouse has a chief. So you ask for the chief. It's the same routine. You ask for the chief. You get to meet the chief. He shakes hands. You sit down. And you sit in a circle on the floor. And maybe some elderly elders or something sitting there. Most of the young people, working age people, are out in the fields. So there's the older folk and the children mainly sit around and you just sit around and talk. And they'll bring you some watermelon or some drink or something. And you talk there for a while. And they ask them, would you like to come up, come to our program? We're running a 10-day program in the town. And of course, these guys don't have any cars. So we rent little buses from people in town, and they come and pick them up and bring them into the program. And he said, well, he was very polite. He said, no, we, we, we're, 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 um, we're heathen, we're spiritualists, we don't believe in the Bible, we don't, no, no one knows about Jesus, we don't want to know about it. And I said, fine, and we, we left. As I was walking out that, back out to the doorway here, um, Vincent, my interpreter, my friend, was in front with a group around him talking, and I'm sort of walking behind him with a bunch of kids who are just happy to work with a guy that's from somewhere else. <laughs> walking out, and one of the doors opens, about halfway down, and this lady came out, she's about this big, as they all are, and she grabbed me by the arm, and she sort of pulled me into her house, into her door. And I didn't know what was going on, and Vincent was walking off, and I'm stuck on my own with someone I can't talk to, I thought. We went inside, and I saw this lady laying on the floor, Oh, sorry, this is, this is inside some of the, some of the long houses. Oh, sorry, this is other long houses. Show you what the verandas are like. And often there's a, a, that's a basket of heads, they're headhunters. So often they've got heads in there. Some of them, I did see a fresh head once. I'm glad it wasn't mine. <laughs> but anyway, that's how it works. And, um, okay, where are we going? So I walked down, saw this lady laying on the ground. That's the lady with the red straps on her pulled me in. And I just looking, I thought, what does she want me to do? By that time, Vincent had come back. And he came in, started to interpret. And this lady was, was looked like I thought she was dead, actually. But as I looked at her chest, I could see it just moving every now and then, just breathing, just breathing. And this other lady was a daughter with the red straps, and she said, can you help? And I, I, what do you want me to do? I, I'm a literature evangelist. I don't, I'm not a doctor. I don't know what to do. I said, I said what, what's the matter with her? She's dying of cancer. I said, well, have you been to a doctor? We went to a doctor once. I said, well, why don't you get a doctor to come out here? She said, the doctors won't come here. It's too far. I said, can you help? I'm thinking, what would I do? So it's really stinking hot. It's, you know, I'm dripping everywhere. I said, how long, how long since she's had some water? They said, two days. I'm thinking, wow, poor lady. She's probably dying of dehydration. So I got some water, and I, I actually I boiled it first. I don't know why. I thought it was a sort of medical thing to do. <laughs> so I started to drip it into her mouth, just drip, drip, and for maybe an hour or two hours, just sitting there dripping this water in. She seemed to, she, she seemed to revive. And then um, in my medical wisdom, I said, how long since she's eaten? They said, four days. So I thought, what can you feed a, 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 you know, an old lady dying? Is, you know, I thought, maybe I'll get some bananas. This is, <laughs> you're going to laugh at this. Maybe I'll get some bananas and some soya milk, mash it together and sort of drip it in. That's what I thought I'd do. So I said, you got any soy milk? They said, we don't have soy milk, never heard of it. Okay, we've got bananas. I said, by, then, by now it's about 9 o'clock at night or something. So I said, look, I'll come back tomorrow morning and I'll bring a litre of soy milk and, and we'll feed her. Okay. So before I go, could I pray? And um, she, said, um, she said, yes. I said, I believe in the God of heaven. The God, God of heaven loves each one of us. And I said, uh, let's, let's pray to the God of heaven. By that time, there's about 50 people crowded around the window and whatever. So I said, everyone there. I asked her for a Bible, and she said, we don't, we don't have a Bible in the, in the whole 776 houses. There's no Bible here. So I said, tomorrow I'll come back with a litre of so good and a litre of a Bible in your language. I'll come back. And we all knelt, and I sent a simple prayer that my main emphasis of the prayer, I remember, was give her peace. Give her peace. 
And the next morning we come back really early and we sort of put our shoes at the door and I could hear wailing from inside, way deep inside the belly of this thing, this building. And we went inside and way down I could see about maybe 50 or 100 people sitting around and, and wailing. And I, I didn't really even click what happened, but as I walked down, I thought that there was a body laying on a little stretcher. And she was dressed in, it was, it was the old lady, but she was dressed in a traditional clothes laying there. She had a rooster tied to her left foot. I guess that was some sort of offering to, to their spirit world or something. And everyone was sitting around wailing, and the chief, who I recognised, was sitting there. He was about 50, I guess. And, um, and I walked down with a litre of So Good and a Bible. And, and Vincent and I sat down behind them. And as we sat there, um, Vincent's whispering to me what he's saying. And um, he's, saying, he's saying that he, he said, thank you for John and for Vincent coming yesterday and for praying for my mother, he said. He said, she died with peace. She died with peace. And then he asked me, could I, um, he saw I had a Bible, and, I, and he said, could you read something from the Bible? I said, sure. So um, the only part I could memorise, because I didn't have an English Bible, was uh, John chapter 1. So I, I said John chapter 1 out, and Vincent read it in, 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 um, in, um, in their language. And he said, I, I was thinking what you said about coming to your program. He said, could we come to your program? I said, sure, you're welcome to. How many buses would you like? He said, can you maybe bring six, six buses? Uh, hold about eight or ten people each or something. So this is the first night of the program. And um, no, no Adventists. And it's just, it's just a simple program, but maybe 200 people or something. And some of them, some of them were coming. This guy's a rascal. You can tell by the look of him. <laughs> and he was a nice guy. Come, every, every night he'd come. He was a drug dealer in town. Every night he would come along. This young guy, he was abandoned. Someone didn't want this baby when it was born, and they just left it on the doorstep of a longhouse. And, he, and no family adopted him, the whole longhouse adopted him, if you like. He came every night too, he had some issues. These two young girls, we had a book, book stall at the back, and um, remember, they're either Muslim or they're, or they're um, uh, not Christian, if you like. And these two young girls bought a Bible each the first night, and they just marked it every night. I've never seen anyone so hungry for, the, for, for digging into the Bible. This, these bunch of all Muslim kids, they, they got there one or two hours early every night just to get the front seat. How incredible is that, eh? And they all bought Bibles. It was just wonderful. We had a great time. We often used stories. And there's this little girl volunteered, you know, Ephesians 6, the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and stuff like that. But I, one night I would hold up a $10 note. And this is probably more money than most people see in a week. I'd hold this note up and I'd say, who would like this $10? And I've got all their attention. And they'd all put their hand up. They all want the $10, of course. I said, well, what do you have to, it's a free gift, I'd say. What do you have to do to get it? And of course, about five or ten minutes, all these answers would go up, you know. I've got to be your friend. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And I said, no, it's free. It's free. There's nothing you can do to get this. It's free. Who wants it? Oh, we all want it. What do you have to do to get it? Eventually, after maybe five or ten minutes, someone would, it would click. Someone would get it. And this night, a lady come down. And uh, you can see her there in her right hand, the, the, the $10. She come down, she walked down, I'm holding the $10, she walked down, she just took it and went back. Everyone went, oh, oh. <laughs> and then I tell them that salvation is a free gift from Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, he gave us a gift of eternal life. It's a gift. There's nothing you can do to earn it. You don't have to be good, you have to be nothing. There's nothing you can do. It's a free gift for you right today. And people would just click. And then... Um, and then I'd say, who wants to uh, accept the free gift from Jesus, a free gift? And of course, look at the hands that will go up. It's a free gift. 
Who wouldn't want to accept it? Who would not want to accept the free gift of eternal life? Man, I want it more than anything. And of course, there's lots of baptisms and stuff. This is a chief that got baptised, another chief. You see the tattoo on his neck and stuff like that. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, it's a, it's a free gift, is eternal life. Who would not want that free gift? The third text Pastor Braden asked me to memorise was John 1.12. But as many as receive him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. As many as receive him. This, this gift, free gift, is for everybody. As many as receive him. Jesus doesn't say, or the Bible doesn't say, if you're good. You know, because the devil will always say in our ears, you are not good enough. Or am I the only one? <laughs> he always says you're not good enough. Look at what you've done again and again and again. <laughs> Look what you've done. But it's a free gift. As many as receive him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Um, being, being retired, it, it just means you, do, you can do work but you don't get paid. That's what it really means. And since I've retired from the literature ministry, we, Mike and I worked for, as, in, as LEs for six months and I had a heart attack from stress. And so we, we've sort of changed our focus. And I started off the Adventist motorcycle ministry. You know, in Melbourne, uh, we, were, we were letterboxing in Gippsland and there was um, 10,000 motorbikes went past. 10,000. And one guy stopped to straighten something up. And I went, we were just letterboxing one Sabbath afternoon. I went across to see this guy. I said, where are you going? He said, we go every year at this time, we go to the Catholic church down here and, and the Catholic priest gives us a blessing for the year. 10,000 bikes getting a blessing from the Catholic. Why can't the Adventists get, get, a, get a part of the action? Why can't we? You know, um, for, we've got a pastor in, um, it's called Lakeside Community um, in Pakenham in Melbourne. A Russian man, I can't remember his name now. Uh, he's on fire for God. He said, let's do, let's, 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 next, next November, let's invite all the bikes to our church. He said, oh, it might be 10,000. He said, great. He says, great. We'll have a bike Sabbath. Well, we started off Adventist Motorcycle Ministry, and the motto is Adventist Motorcycle Ministry, where every ride's a mission. And the Adventist Motorcycle Ministry is a ministry of the General Conference. It's in uh, 40 countries of the world. And we have a, a, a group in Melbourne, another group in Adelaide, and more to come in Australia. And we, we often we ride to small country churches, mainly in Victoria, our group, and I know that the group today has gone to uh, Castle Main, and I'm missing being with them in some ways. And um, this is when we went to Wangaratta, a group, and we, we can get lots of people, a lot of non-Adventists with us, and this is a Wangaratta church. We go, mainly go to small country churches, and uh, one couple from this church, New Adventists, invited the 30 of us for lunch. <laughs> How cool is that? There we are, we're sitting around having lunch. We spent the whole day there. It was just wonderful. We also do um, road trips. And on the road trips, we carry books with us and we, we distribute literature. And all, all, the, all the people involved in, in it are literature evangelists, if you like. On this road trip, we had incredible experiences. This guy with some small town, I don't know where, this is Ari. And he, that's his blue shop. He's a, he was a picker all of his life. He picked. And this is a shop full of his picking stuff. And he's selling it off. And he came out and saw the bikes, and we just clicked with him and gave him a book. This is in Sejuna. We're, we're having our breakfast. A group was having a breakfast on a, um, ta- you know, a little cafe on the footpath. And this, these people, they've got a New South Wales um, on their uh, Regio on their Harley. And this is South Australia. Sejuna's the last stop before they go across the Nullarbor. And, and they're unpacking their bike. And people are afraid of them. No one's talking to these people. But I went up and, they, you know, having the bike, you're, just, you're, just, you're already half meshed. You're all fully meshed. I went up and I said, you're from New South Wales? They said, no, no, 
we're from Perth. We, did, we went up to New South Wales, picked the bike up, and we're going back, camping along the way. And I said, oh, great. So I gave him a book, and, and he put under one of those things. He said, well, read that tonight when we're in our tent, sleeping. And then uh, I said, how about a photo? And he grabbed his wife and hugged her. And I said, great, I love honeymoon photos. He said, with my wife, it's a honeymoon every day. I thought, how cool is that? <laughs> Lovely people. People are afraid of them because they look different, maybe. I don't know. This guy filling a, a tank of petrol up there, he, he said, I've got to triumph also. I said, well, take this book. And he said, yeah, I'll read that tonight in my motel. You know, he's had a tremendous time. This, uh, this lady here, we'd heard about her. She... Um, She's got, a, she's got a fence in a, on, on the highway and she pulled the palings down and put a caravan there and sells food from this caravan. It's the only shop in town. That's how small this town is. <laughs> and we'd heard that she makes great vegan food. So we said, look, we're vegans. Can we have, make us a breakfast? She made us this breakfast and we gave her a book and she said, are you guys Christians? And we are. She said, I'm studying to be an Adventist. I said, we're Adventists. She said, fantastic. <laughs> and she, this car whole caravan is a, is a mission field. She said, give me more books. I want to give them out for you. So we gave all we, all we, could, all we could afford, and, and we had a great time with her. Just brilliant. These are some of the things we do. This, um, look, this, this little girl, this girl here in the middle, sorry, she's, she's 18 years old, and that's her younger brother. He's five. Two kids in the family. This is in Phnom Penh. And I've got friends over there working. And... Um, the father is disabled, and the mother, the only way that she could support the family was to prostitute herself. It's, it's dreadful, but I can't even imagine it. But the mother had got cancer and couldn't continue to work. They had no income. The only option was to prostitute their daughter. And a friend contacted me and said, can you help? Do you know anyone can help? What do you do? The delete box? What do you do with it? You have to do something. You can't, you know, anyway. So... So someone, someone supported the family, and the mother said, if, if our little son can go to a Christian school, that would be a blessing. It'd, it'd take a, they're not Christians at all, but if my son could go to a Christian school, there'd be a worry off our shoulders, because over there, um, prostitution and drugs are, are just major, major, you know, you've got no idea, really. Um, little kids like that, even, even little boys like that are prostituted, and when they're, I don't want to make, I don't want to be gross or anything, but when they're when they're worn out, their body, their part, body parts are sold, heart, lungs, and that type of thing. And it's just, and little kids like that are drug runners for the cops. The cops run all, the police run all, the, run it all. But he, they, they're drug runners. So to put him into a Christian school, get him out of that environment, means he could live, you know. So she said, so been, I rang a couple of the guys up and I said, we'll do it. Ten bucks a week and he goes to a Christian school. He gets a uniform, which, which is gaudy, but he loves it. <laughs> it's a status symbol. He gets fed one meal a day. That, that's a bedroll. They've got a bedroll because they can roll it out, you see. They get a bedroll and then they get checked for lice once a week and, and all this type of stuff. And um, this is his first day at school, going to school there. His little friend's five years old too and his little friend was so disappointed because no one was sponsoring him. So Michael and I sponsored that little fellow for a year to go to school. They've taken their bedrolls. It is so thrilled to go to school. Isn't that wonderful? So that's some of the stuff we do. Um, I'm getting to the point. On the 23rd of February, we went to Portland Church. Uh, it's, it's, uh, South Australia borders about there, about there somewhere, so it's almost to South Australia. Portland Church is a very small Adventist church, maybe four or five or six members at the most come on Sabbath, very tiny. The conference wanted to shut it down because they thought it was a waste of, waste of resources. And um, there's three, three sisters there, all about 50 years of age, that, that run, the, run the Portland Church, and they're just incredible people. So we, we rocked up there to Portland Church. It was a group of us went, like I say. And um, can you imagine, imagine this parked outside Barrel Church? 
you wonder, I wonder what the locals think, these Adventists. Yeah, absolutely. So we rocked up there, there was a whole bunch of us, and um, we had a great Sabbath. We, um, okay, get past the bikes. A lot of these people are non-Adventists. A small church of uh, you know, maybe four or five people, there was 53 there that day, and I think about 30 non-Adventists. This was the day the conference sent out to do the survey in the church where they were going to shut the knot. <laughs> so, yeah, 53 people, 30 non-Adventists. <laughs> They can't shut it now. <laughs> How God works. And uh, we had a great time there. And these three ladies who run the church, they fed a lot of us. There was, there was twice as much food as you could eat. Incredible. Absolutely uh, incredible food. You know, like I said, a lot of these guys in the front here, the, these guys are just, uh, you know, they're, they're not, uh, not Adventists at all. But this guy was there too. And this is, I want to share this story. His name's Glenn. And Glenn told me his story. Glenn was... Um, he was, he was baptised that day. What a tremendous story Glenn's got. This story illustrates to me the incredible power of God, the incredible love of God, and the incredible forgiveness of God. You know, we tend to think, oh yes, I've been a bad guy, but someone who's done this, they couldn't be saved. You know, we, t- we put sin in categories. Jesus paid for every sin. Doesn't matter how it is. I remember canvassing one day in, in Christchurch, it was New Zealand, this guy... He was about 50. He put, his, he put his finger to my face. He says, does God love homosexuals? What would you say? Of course he does. Jesus died for everybody. There's not one person on this planet Jesus didn't die for. Every person. Well, Glenn, Glenn grew up in a very wealthy home in Geelong, which is sort of s- southwest of Melbourne. And um, his father wanted to send him to the very best school he could send him. So he sent him to a Catholic school. He thought that was the best school. And um, oh, oh, Glenn was baptised. He was getting baptised. And um, in, in the Catholic school, and I don't want to say anything gross or anything, but I'm just going to tell you what happened to Glenn. And I've got his permission to, to share the story. Glenn was, um, he was deeply spiritual, a young kid. Deeply spiritual. He had a, a love for God. And he had a, a trust in God. And he, really wanted to, he really wanted to serve God and be with God. That's what, that's what he wanted. And as this little kid, unfortunately, the Catholic priest did the wrong thing and, and raped him uh, repeatedly over a number of years. He told me, he said, I never lost my faith over that. I still believe there was a God. He said, I saw this was a man and not God. He said, I, I had a trust in God. When he was about 20 years of age, he married a, a lady from Macedonia. She was 18. And she was, um, she was pregnant. And they're on a motorbike in Tasmania driving around. And a, a car just came out of no, nowhere and just hit the side of him. And uh, he was flung free. But his wife and his unborn baby were killed. And he said, that's... That, that was the final straw with me. He said, I just, I just lost it with God. He said, he became angry. He was angry at God. He was angry at anyone, everyone. And he, um, he just wanted to hurt people. He was so angry, he wanted to hurt people. And he went, moved back to Geelong and he joined the, the um, Banditos, an outlaw motorbike gang. I don't know, people probably have them in New South Wales too. But he joined the Banditos. He became the sergeant of arms. Now, I didn't know what the sergeant of arms was. I looked it up on the internet. He's the guy that's responsible for all the all the fights and rumbles, that type of stuff. He's also the, the bodyguard for the president. He's in, he's, his responsibility is to protect the president. So he's got to be a tough guy. He used to love violence and, and um, that type of stuff. But it, he was, he was uh, sergeant arm for 10 years. After 10 years, he still wasn't satisfied. He wanted to hurt more people. He wanted to kill people. Like, this is awful, but this is what happened. So he joined the Australian Army and went to Afghanistan as a sniper. And... Um, he was a very good sniper and he, he killed countless men, women and children. He just could not ca- remember how many people he killed. 
he told me that he could, he could shoot someone from a, a kilometre to a kilometre half away with these high-powered things. You know, you can't even see that distance. I don't know how they do it. And, um, and, and he had no remorse. He had no remorse. He was just, it was just killing seemed to satisfy this anger somehow in, in him. And one day they were um, travelling in one of these type of vehicles, not this one, but a vehicle like this, and they were going off, all their gear on and stuff, and they are going off to some village. They were going to uh, blast the bits. And um, they'd stop somewhere, and these two little five-year-old kids come up. I can't imagine this, but these two little five-year-old kids come up and knocked on the door. And his friend who was sitting near the door opened the door, and these two little kids were standing there, cute as could be, but they were wired with the explosives. And when they opened the door, someone had remotely detonated these kids. And um, his friend was killed, but he didn't know he was killed. He fell out of, out of the door, and Glenn put his hand out to grab the guy, and he was, he was shot through the finger here and out the back of the hand. So he put his other hand out to grab his friend. He didn't know he was dead. He, was trying to, he grabbed his hand, and he, he was shot in that hand, and that hand locked onto the body. He couldn't release it, and he's trying to release his hand. And while he was trying to do that, he was shot behind the ear, and the bullet came out of his mouth. And by that time... Because they got guns shooting everywhere, and all the, all the people in there were killed. I don't know if they were Americans or Australians or who they were, but they were, whole, they were all killed. And then um, they dragged all the bodies, the, the Taliban rebels grabbed the bodies and dragged them all back to the village and put them in a big pile where they gloated over their success um, and jumped around and see the cameras in, you know, all that type of stuff. And um, Glenn was still alive with the, in, amongst the bodies. And he laid there for three days, in and out of consciousness. He's, and he, he told me, he said, I didn't know whether I was dead or alive. I didn't know I'd gone to hell or, or, or I was in heaven. I didn't know anything. And he laid there for three days and uh, he, he didn't move. And um, after three days, the, um, they, they, they wear GPS tracking devices in their uniform. So if someone gets lost behind enemy lines, the Americans got this no, leave no one behind policy. They, can come in and try and find them, you see. And they, they tracked all these GPS devices to this one village. So the Americans come in with helicopters and a big raid thing and um, to, to rescue these men who they didn't know whether they were dead or alive. And when they got to the village, the Taliban fled. But before they fled, they riddled a, this pile of bodies with bullets. And he was shot another 11 times. Can you believe it? He showed me scars. He, and at that potluck, um, he had a plate with about one lettuce leaf and a little thing on it. I said, what are you, aren't you hungry? He said, that's all I can eat. I've got no, st stomach's gone, just a little bit of stomach. And he showed me bullet holes and, well, scars on his legs and all over the place. And then they, they still didn't know, when the Americans loaded all the bodies onto the helicopters, they didn't know he was alive. They put his body, body on, riddled with bullets, 14 times. And, um, and they saw him move. Oh, wow, this guy's alive. Quick, get him to the... So they rushed him to a medivac where they did some temporary... Um, fixing up of him, and then they flew him to Germany, where apparently there's a hospital that looks after um, soldiers that have been shot in these in Afghanistan, all these places. And uh, they didn't expect him to live. In fact, the doctors were amazed that he didn't bleed to death. You know, you shot 14 times, you think it'd be 28 holes, and you know, it, 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 the blood congealed on all these holes somehow. And the doctor said, "I just don't understand it." And 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 Glenn started to think, maybe. Maybe God's protecting me. Maybe God's with me. Maybe God, there is a God. He started to think that. And then he had months of operations and he wasn't supposed to walk and all this stuff, but he sort of, I don't know, God somehow blessed him and he can walk and everything. And um, he's just a lovely guy. I wish he was here. I really do. And um, he, he, just, he just started to think about God more and God started to speak to him, speak to him more. And um, yeah, he... 
he was shipped from Germany to Brisbane, where in Brisbane he had more rehabilitation, trying to learn to walk and all this type of stuff. And um, he said he felt so bad for all these people he'd killed. I can't imagine what that's like. It's bad enough stab, stabbing someone in the heart with your, with your voice, you know what I mean? But to, to kill someone is, is, um, is a thought that I can never even imagine. He, he said, I, I've made so many kids orphans. I killed so many people, so many adults and so many kids orphans because of me. So one of him and another ex-Afghan soldier who did similar stuff, who had become a Christian, the two of them went back to Afghanistan and started off two orphanages and put all these kids in these orphanages. How he finances and does it all, I don't know. He went back there a couple of times and started these orphanages off. But he still wanted to find out more about God. Somehow, and I don't know why he moved to Portland, but while at Portland, sorry, go back a bit, while at Portland, this couple here, Roger and Floris, they were, oh sorry, they were, they were literal evangelists, and um, they were living in Melbourne, and three years ago, maybe four, maybe five years, four or five years ago, they come to a training school they run to train literature evangelists, and they say, I gave them a DVD, which I don't remember at all, but DVD, you must move out of the city and live in the country, was this message and this sermon on this DVD. So they said, we've got to get out of Melbourne. So they moved to Portland, and when they were in Portland, they knocked on his door and, and gave him some books about Jesus. And he said, can you teach me more? So for two years, they had Bible studies with him. And he's just, like I say, he loved the Lord with all of his heart. His whole focus on life now is he believes he's forgiven, even though he's done this incredible yucky stuff. And we all have. He's maybe more obvious, but we've all done yucky stuff, every one of us. Not one of us here can say they haven't. He, he believes that Jesus died for him. He believes that he's forgiven and he's accepted the free gift. It's incredible, eh? What a story. He was baptised this day. There's Floris and Roger giving him a hug. Baptised in the ocean. He said it was the best Sabbath he'd ever had. It's got to be one of the best I've ever had that Sabbath too. Yeah, sorry. Yes. For all have sinned. These are the four texts the pastor gave me. For all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But as many as receive him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. It's as that simple. It's as simple as saying, Lord, I believe you. I accept your free gift. Thank you for it. It is that simple. And the last text Pastor Braden gave me was Revelation 3.20, our scripture reading. For behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone... Who, who is it? It doesn't say if the good people, if the people who have done not so bad stuff, it says if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I believe Jesus is knocking on the door of every person's heart. He says, I want to come in. I've got a free gift for you. Do you want it? No matter who you are, what religion makes no difference, no matter what you've done, the invitations for you. May God bless each one of us as we contemplate these things. God bless. This message was made available by the Barrel Simothay Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit barreladventist.church.
Anthem Lights with a hymn medley, and before that you heard Wintley Phipps sing Amazing Grace. Coming up next, Alan Jackson will be singing Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus And to take Him at His word Just to rest upon His promise And to know the saith the Lord Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him How I proved Him more and more Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus Oh, for grace to trust Him Listen to Bill Ackland as he reads from his book, Talking with God. The prayer I have for you today is entitled, A Substantial Faith. And the text to match this prayer is found in Matthew 17, verse 20. Let me assure you that if you have faith only as small as a grain of mustard seed, you will be able to speak to this mountain nearby and say to it, Move from there to here, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And then a little introduction to the prayer. 
One of the great challenges for Christians is to bring into our lives that somewhat mysterious quality we call faith. Furthermore, faith must be something that grows, and it will grow if it is exercised. It, along with prayer, is one of the key connections we must have with God. So let us pray. Today, dear Lord, I have been thinking how important it is to espouse a substantial faith. All around us is a wishy-washy shallowness that can only hide the emptiness in people's lives by them imbibing more of the same. Louder and louder the music thumps. Did I say music? Perversion of noise is more accurate. Until the bottom of the barrel is reached and people's finer sensitivities are destroyed, killed off by the banal and the inane. Your word instead presents a higher way to live our lives in true fulfilment. I am so inspired by the lives of those whose faith in you was so strong that it carried them through what we hardly ever have to bear. Abraham, whom you described as the father of the faithful, went at your call to a land he did not know, leaving cultured Ur behind to live in tents, a wanderer. Then, as your great plan for him unfolded, he faced the greatest test of faith in you that anyone could face when you commanded him to take Isaac to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him there. You tested him to the last split second, only staying the knife in his trembling hand when you saw that his faith in you to bring good from bad overrode his love for the promised son. Moses, a candidate for death in his bulrush boat, until you rescued him by your providence, then trained in Pharaoh's kingly court, accepted your call to lead a stubborn people to the borders of the promised land, willing along the way to die if that meant life for them. Daniel, another of your pillars of faith, commenced life in a comfortable Jewish home. His parents, unknown to us, trained and guided him to be true to God, no matter what may come. This enabled him to always remain focused on your will, even down to the details of his diet. Throughout his long and God-led life, he was able to interpret the king's dreams, receive and record prophetic visions, reach down to the end of time in describing great world events, and see the stone of Christ's kingdom replace all other kingdoms of this world. Our Saviour too lived a life of faith in his humanity. His connection with his Father seems to me to be on a higher plane than what we know as faith. For he did what only God could have done, offer salvation to a rebellious race, dying the death that was ours, and rising again to confirm his divinity and his covenant of peace with us. Dear Father, faith connects us with you and with our Saviour too. For that I praise and bless you today in eternal gratefulness. Amen. To obtain your copy of Talking With God, written by Bill Ackland, give us a call in Australia on 02 4973 3456 
or send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. tip lady and I love sharing tips to help make your life more simple. Do you ever feel like your wings have been taken away? Do you ever feel imprisoned inside? Do you wish you could be free? A beautiful butterfly caught my eye the other day. I'm sure it was happy and no wonder. It was out in the garden. It was sunny and it was free. So look in your garden when you feel frustrated and imprisoned. Look in your garden. I did. See colourful flowers nodding in the breeze. I did. Hear the happy humming of bees. I did. Enjoy the warm sunshine. I did. Perhaps you could be startled by the loud cawing of crows. I was. You might feel the soft paws of a faithful little dog. I did. You could see and admire the delicate butterflies. I did. Many of the best things in life are free. Look and see. We may have rules to obey, but no one, no one can dictate our thoughts. Our thoughts are free. And in Isaiah 55 verse 9 we read this. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So here are my two simple tips today that are guaranteed to lift our thoughts higher to eternal realities and away from the constricting, binding things of this earth. Here's tip number one. Changing your focus will change your experience. You know, when I wandered out into the garden, feeling isolated and frustrated, and I noticed that butterfly, my change of focus led me to new thoughts. And I realise that my thoughts are not shackled. My thoughts are free. So changing your focus will change your experience, absolutely guaranteed. It did mine. I went back inside thinking higher thoughts that God infused into my mind, I believe. And here's my tip number two. Choose faith, not fear. Our thoughts are free and we can choose to think faith-inspiring thoughts or succumb to fear for the future. But don't do that. Choose faith, not fear. This is so important for me, I've written it on a card and put it in my kitchen. So every time I'm tempted to think a thought of fear, I remember, ah, choose faith, not fear. And as things happen that could cause us to cower in fear, let's remember that in Proverbs 29:25 we're reminded that the fear of man bringeth a snare. But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. And remember the words of David in Psalm 118 verse 8, where we're reminded that it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. So by changing your focus, you will change your experience. And by choosing faith, not fear, your thoughts can soar way up high and be free. Free like the beautiful butterfly that helped me change my focus and experience. In Proverbs 1.33, God promises this, Whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely, and shall be quiet from fear of evil. That's it. 
from the two-tip lady today who loves to help make your life more simple. Choose faith, not fear. Change your focus and you will change your experience. Prove it. Go on. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.